My name is Zach Como, and you're listening to the My Tech Decisions Podcast. Another episode of the My Tech Decisions podcast. I know most of our content um, and our podcast guests have uh, really been about the technological response to COVID-19, and we can't really seem to get what get away from it. Uh, the world is drastically changed, probably forever, and that's leading to some incredible innovations uh, in the tech industry. And one of those innovations that has risen during the crisis, uh, partially due to necessity, is uh, telemedicine. This technology allows for virtual doctor-patient visits over video conferencing and uh, eliminates the need to actually go to a a physical doctor's office, uh, which of course is uh, a little bit uh, dangerous right now um, since those settings can be kind of a breeding ground for the virus. Um, So to talk about that, we welcome on Chris Lee, and he's a co-founder of InfiniteMD, a digital health company that's based just down the road from me in Boston. He's joined by the company's vice president of marketing, Amanda Wood. We talk about how telemedicine and virtual consultations have skyrocketed during the crisis and how the technology can be improved uh, going forward. Before we get to the interview, here's a quick reminder that the podcast is available on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Search the My Tech Decisions podcast to hear weekly interviews with experts in IT, cybersecurity, unified communications, uh, collaboration, and more. And now here's the interview. And there we go. Great. Yeah. So, Chris, thanks for taking some time to talk to us about uh, Infinite MD. Uh, can you just tell us about the company briefly? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, so, Infinite MD, we are a uh, we consider ourselves a, a leader in uh, digital health, especially in the specialty health space. Uh, so you think of specialty health as uh, not requiring something, you know, in the ED, in the emergency department, so not something acute and not, you know, something that's more routine, something you would see of like a family practitioner or a primary care physician for. Um, so anything uh, that you would need um, someone with sort of additional training for is uh, what we are focused on. Uh, and uh, we were inspired to start Infinite MD uh, because of just these sort of fundamental disparities when it comes to access to experts. Right? You know, as you might imagine, there are a number of uh, people that have serious conditions, you know, ranging from cancer, uh, rare disease, uh, or maybe are about to have a you know intense surgical procedure of some sort. And they want to have peace of mind that they're doing the right thing. They want to have peace of mind that. Uh, they're getting the best sort of standard of care. Um, this is kind of where we come in. Um, we provide these individuals the ability to connect with a world-leading expert um, in a particular area uh, to afford them this peace of mind and to afford them access uh, to a leading specialist. Um, and uh, you know, and with that, we 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 offer um, you know our products essentially fall into the actual service of facilitating these virtual consultations, um, as well as the software platform to help transact these interactions um, that enable, you know, administrators, providers, patients, 
Um, we're also internationally enabled, so it also allows you know uh, interpreters and translators, if mm. necessary, to be a part of this patient's sort of journey in connecting to a top specialist. Great. So this was developed a, a handful of years ago, is that right? Yeah. So um, we we were founded in uh, essentially um, you know for, for for our first full year of operations was uh, 2016, um, and uh, you know we have, we have uh, I, I we have two other uh, co-founders. So it was I myself um, and one of the co-founders, and then we had Bobic um, as well as Liz. And combined, uh, you know, Liz has uh, you know an MD from Harvard, um, and then Bobic uh, is also a you know serial entrepreneur. Um, here from uh, MIT Sloan, and collectively, you know, we all sort of had this uh, idea that, and as well as personal experiences, you know, we had family members, friends come to us because, uh, you know, we kind of uh, we we had the privilege of of essentially having access to some of these top specialists, but you know, so many people don't, and so uh, we very quickly realized that we had a passion of solving problems and also a passion right. of sort of connecting technology with clinical need, and so an MD just seemed like a natural uh, sort of. Uh, uh, company to form out of those interests. Yeah. So you fall uh, under the umbrella of telemedicine, correct? Um, Amanda, do you want, do, do you want to shed some light on that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it depends uh, on what state you're operating in. So we all know that there's like this um, patchwork, this checkerboard of regulatory, uh, regulatory uh, oversight state by state. And the, the three primary areas that states are considered in is, can you establish a treating provider relationship, which Infinite MD never does? Um, can you diagnose and prescribe, which is kind of a mixed bag. Um, and so diagnosis and prescribing would be the other two. Now, essentially, Infinite MD, in our case, we're offering education and advice in the form of a virtual second opinion. So technically, we would say it's not formal telehealth where we're actually treating the patient. But depending upon the state that you may reside in and their regulatory you know, verbiage, they may consider you falling into a, a bucket that resembles telehealth. Right. That would that would be the, the more roundabout answer. And, and, and another key point here is that uh, for our consultations, you know, there, we don't establish what's called a patient provider relationship. Sure. Um, and that's kind of the, the kind of the, the, the phrase uh, because it's uh, you know, it's it's um, uh, because these patients have a primary diagnosis like Amanda already has uh, explained and uh, they're seeking sort of additional advice and information. And typically because these patients have. Um, you know, a serious condition or something that's of complex, uh, sort of complex in nature, it's not like they can then go and like self-medicate themselves. These reports are shared with their treating provider, um, mm -hmm. which are, you know, licensed medical professionals that can help them further digest what to take sort of the most effective and uh, next steps are in terms of their care. Right. So, you know, how, how do these uh, visits usually, usually work? Um, you know, does does the healthcare professional you know have all all the information they they need to make uh, a suggestion? And just what what would a typical visit look like? Sure, um, I see. Okay, um, sure. So, in the case of us, um, you know, rendering a second opinion, we have you know many modalities that we can actually deliver the interaction to. But all of the cases kind of start in the same place. One is where we triage the request. So we want to understand what's going on, what the diagnosis is, and what essentially the consumer or the patient is hoping to get out of it. So these would be their top questions for the expert. Um, from there, our medical records team goes to work and they essentially collect all of the patient's records. And then we have a team of medical fellows who summarize essentially thousands or hundreds of pages of records into one or two pages for our MD expert. Um, the MD expert receives the case. 
They render an opinion always in a, the form of a written report. So they give the patient documentation that they can always take at right. a, this area of portability, take it to their treating provider. Um, however, in terms of modalities, one thing that makes Infinite MD a little bit different is that we do uh, offer video. We offer three forms of video. One would be live video. So similar to the Zoom call, the patient can interact live with the MD expert. Um, we do multi-way video, which means that we can have um, up to as many doctors as required join that conference. So you could have what we would refer to as a multidisciplinary consultation live. And then our newest modality, which I think has got the most traction in terms of consumer interest, uh, is our asynchronous video offering. Now, asynchronous video is like a video message. So the physician right. records themselves responding to questions, um, addressing the patient by name. They run through the case summary. So it's almost as if they have an on-demand version of what would have occurred in the live video consultation. And we implemented this primarily because we find that one, scheduling is very difficult with these MD experts. They're extremely, extremely busy. Um, and the other issue is too, and Chris alluded to this, is the international component or multi-time zone component. So for these patients, if say they may perhaps be in Asia or South America and they wanna connect with someone at MGH, um, the video component can be sometimes hard to schedule. So if we're focused on a really fast turnaround, asynchronous video is the way to implement a human connection without having to deal with all these other barriers that would otherwise impede a live video consultation. Right. Has usage changed since, let's say, early March? We've seen a small, we've seen a small spike yeah. as an understatement. No, we've seen, we've seen, we're, we're actually working on a, a story right now to define what we believe is driving this trend, but we've seen a doubling in cases oh, since wow. March. Yeah. A full I've 200. Seen, you know, over a 200% increase wow. in terms of the volume of our, uh, of our cases. Uh, and, you know, Amanda totally nailed it. I was just add that, you know, we've designed this process to be as simple as possible for, we kind of a two-sided marketplace, you know, on, on one hand, we have patients and on the other hand we have um, providers and both kind of have to be happy with the experience in order to yeah, come back yeah. you know it, these these are truly you know some of the world's top experts right and which means that there's only a few a handful of them so you know if we happen to to annoy them or they they think that we have an, an inefficient process then we've kind of poisoned um the the individuals that we need to to actually successfully render these consults uh, so the long story short, the experience for both providers as well as patients is super, super simple, super streamlined, super straightforward. We made it essentially as easy as possible. Um, and all that extra stuff um, that's in between is stuff mm -hmm. that we undertake to make that experience and that patient journey as simple as possible. Yeah. And uh, because of the pandemic, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure, you know, people are aware of, but, you know, a lot of the surge is, you know, we believe attributed to, you know, a couple things, you know, number one, um, you know, a lot of these sort of specialty interactions in hospital have been canceled and or postponed. And so, you know, patients, mm. it's not like patients just stop getting sick, you know, patients yeah. still need access to expertise specialists. And so we're seeing some of that, um, uh, some of that surge related to, you know, hospitals not uh, being as efficient. Secondly, um, it's also because I think, you know, a lot of patients are turning to other modalities. You know, you know if you don't want to, contract virus, you know, for example, you know, hospitals tend to be a place where uh, there are a lot of people that are that are potentially sick, right. And so um, that has really uh, allowed sort of consumers to look for uh, other angles. And then thirdly, on the provider side as well, you know, for a number of, of months, you know, for, you know, like our orthopedic surgeons or our, you know, interventionalists, a lot of them have been um, sidelined, right, just simply mm. because, you know, they, they, they weren't operating. Um, 
hospital beds have been turned into ICU beds to take care of other patients. Uh, and so uh, essentially there was kind of a, a natural uh, sort of, uh, you know, turn towards these telehealth and telemedicine um, capabilities uh, simply because uh, there was a big, big yeah. need uh, and we were there to satisfy the demand. Yeah. Um, so, you know, how is that different than um, what you guys were doing before the pandemic began? And, uh, you know, I guess who were your main, uh, what made up that, that, that bulk of your customers before the pandemic? Because it wasn't just replacing in-person visits like it is, like it is now. So how, how did that sort of change? Uh, well, what I would say is, and I think you may be alluding to a story in the market that talks about telehealth kind of seeing a small downtick, you know, um, as the pandemic uh, uh, seems to ease up in certain states, although we know that some are regressing their opening plans. But what I would say is that um, I think that there's a greater focus and a greater consumer demand for specialty medicine, like what Chris was saying. Um, many people we've talked to, you know, essentially through these consults, um, happy to, you know, wait to see their provider for more acute primary care needs. So cyanitis, you know, issues with managing chronic conditions. Um, telehealth doesn't seem to be as, um, in terms of consumer behavior, as a much of a driving force. So for specialty medicine access, though, when it comes to people with like um, cancer or cardiological issues, um, neurological issues, the opportunity to see a specialist, I think, is what's driving our demand. So we're outside, of course, the primary care sphere. And I think the demand to see those um, top tier doctors is probably why we've been able to sustain the momentum that others may have lost, if that makes sense. Um, so what, what has COVID changed about tele telemedicine in general? And, you know, where is the industry headed? Well, we have some, you know, opinions in terms of the outlook, right? I yeah. think a big thing uh, was, uh, you know, the COVID kind of was a big catalyst for um, a lot of people to put, you know, a digital strategy more at the forefront in terms of, you know, healthcare. Um, we have anecdotal stories, for example, we, we've had, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, experts that say, you know, hey, I'm the world's leading expert in X. Uh, and in order to receive the best care for me, you know, I have to examine the patient, I have to have them in my clinic to be able to, uh, you know, do a physical exam, listen to the heart, etc. Um, but, you know, with a lot of this, you know, um, providers on the provider side, and I'm not sort of saying that, like, you know, tele telehealth is now a replacement for in person care, it's not, you know, there's certain, certainly limitations and that I think the market is well aware of. Um, but that being said, um, you know, a lot of providers are like, well, I can do this follow up visit virtually, they don't need to come in, you know, they need to refill or they need this or, or they need something that isn't, you know, as extensive, I know um, that I can deliver the same quality, just real quick, and it's actually gonna be better for the patient. Um, and so we're seeing kind of COVID has increased that stickiness, if you will, to on both uh, around the, on the patient side, as well as on the provider side. Uh, knowing that, hey, you know, and after and after these providers or you know patients have done a couple of these interactions, they're like, hey, this is actually pretty good. I, I actually enjoy this. This is this is cool. This is convenient. Um, you know, I, I I'm in the safety and comfort of my own home. Great. And then with that, you know, it's it's like anything. It's like you know, once you sort of get experience it um, and you like it, then you come back to it. Right. Yep. So I, I saw a few recent headlines that kind of um, clash with one another. Um, President Obama's former um, IT health chief, I wrote in the Harvard Business Review that telemedicine is not a viable alternative to an in-person visit 
and he called the last few months, you know, crash course in telemedicine, everyone's still trying to figure it out. But at the same time, I saw that uh, I think researchers in France uh, performed an operation on a cadaver that was nine miles away with a surgical robot. So clearly, they're, you know, they we're kind of navigating toward, towards that um, idea of it being a replacement. But, you know, what, what has to happen for telehealth to be, you know, more of a viable alternative? Right. I would say that those two examples are relevant, but also very apples and oranges in terms of like delivering remote care, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, a telehealth and then remote surgical operations like the Da Vinci, yeah. which everyone's very fascinated by, sure. I'm sure. Uh, so what you're seeing right now, and I'm sure you're, you're familiar with some of these headlines, is uh, the federal government kind of paving the way. So many of the codes that they've made, quote, telehealth eligible, meaning for reimbursement from CMS, mm-hmm. uh, there's legislation in place or being processed right now that uh, is highly supported to make all of those changes permanent. So you'll have providers that were getting compensated for kind of flexing, trying something new during this pandemic, being able to continue to do that and be reimbursed at parity. Uh, similarly, you'll see private insurers, and I, I don't want to necessarily say which, which family of plans, but you'll see them looking very much at digital health being the front door. And in order for them to incentivize private providers, you know, people in their network or people they hope to woo into their networks for the various health plans, um, you'll see them paying at parity. So they're already making certain solutions, whether it's a telehealth solution, um, part of the plan design, or they're compensating your direct provider, your treating physician, for seeing you in a virtual format at parity as though it would be an office. So right. you're starting to see uh, movement in terms of the carrot, right, to incentivize these different positions to continue to sustain the, the momentum. Mm-hmm. Uh, or technology-wise, you know, what do folks like yourself um, have to do? Um, you know, so it's seen just um, from your customers as a more viable alternative. Sure, sure. Well, we work very closely with our channel partners. Um, we do directly contract with many payers and employers. But um, in, in this, the sphere of the channel partners, we work very closely with them to understand the demographics and kind of makeup of their populations. That could be, you know, uh, cultural. It could be demographics like age, et cetera, like uh, chronic conditions. So we tailor our marketing plans to those populations. So we try to tap in and take a, a very empathetic approach in terms of communications to keep the, the consumers abreast of what's going on. Now for technology, we should probably have Bobic speak to that because he is our, our guy with the roadmap. Um, yeah. But I would say that we're constantly looking at the data. We're understanding how people interact with our app and our platform. We survey our members regularly to understand what is appealing to them and where we need improvements. So. Um, I would say that there are some very cool things on the horizon that we're excited to share with the wider world. Um, but for now, I think most tech companies are very, very focused on user experience and kind of mm-hmm. drilling into the data so we can make sure that visits happen as efficiently and delightfully as possible. Right. And yeah, also, I could add to that a little bit too. I mean, you sure. know, we're, we're a tech enabled service company, right? And so yeah. we're constantly iterating on, like Amanda said, better user experience and all that. I mean, just in the recent past, for example, um, uh, you know, we launched what we call virtual centers of excellence. Um, essentially, uh, we looked and we saw that, you know, a large portion of our cases fall under MSK, so musculoskeletal, so back, spine, hip, knee type indications, as well as oncology. Um, you know, that those two sort of areas of medicine alone accounted for, you know, uh, you know, more than more than half of our volume. Yeah. Uh, and so with that, we're like, well, hey, all these cases are super complicated, complex. Yeah. 
we launched a method to allow physicians to be able to actually collaborate virtually on these cases, which we call you know, sort of virtual center uh, of excellence, where they can then also be potentially referred into uh, in a, uh, you know, essentially a, a in-person care at one right. of these facilities, right? And so that was an evolution, both technologically, as well as on the product side, to be able to help improve the experience for, you know, such large swaths, um, you know, of our, our, of our patients. Um, we've also, you know, we talked about earlier how we have all sorts of different ways to connect with these specialists. So we're always thinking through, you know, other ways of connecting with them. And so, you know, we uh, more recently launched, uh, you know, what we called, you know, sort of this, this asynchronous connect uh, methodology, right, uh, which, which, which allows these pre-recorded video snippets for more, more uh, sort of questions that someone that only a specialist can answer um, that are pressing, you know, to the patients, especially in this era, you know, related to COVID, right? So, you know, we have patients who are like, hey, you know, uh, I am a leukemia patient uh, and I'm currently taking, you know, these medications. What are some additional considerations of, you know, you know my lifestyle or, or uh, if I were to get COVID, like, you know, what should I worry about, right? And so we're helping address a lot of these top of mind and, uh, you know, sort of anxiety related, uh, you know, issues. Mm. Um, been happily able to kind of adapt um, essentially our um, pool of experts um, to help, you know, additional patients in additional different ways. Yeah. Um, Amanda, you, you hinted at some, some new uh, improvements uh, coming in on the horizon. Could you guys maybe elaborate on some of them if, if you could? I would, I would, I mean, I, w- I would prefer, I mean, for the purpose of this interview to kind of hold some of that stuff back for Bobic, our CEO that's of the, the sure. world, if, that, if that's, sure. if that jives with you. Um, But I I do want to build on something Chris mentioned, and I think you're also kind of interested in this as well. So, of course, there are things that various, you know, technology providers like InfiniteMD can be doing to improve the user experience as we invest, right, in our platforms and apps. Um, But for the wider world, I would say um, there's a there's rules have just been finalized by the Health and Human Services Department around interoperability and patient ownership of their healthcare information. So I think that one of the key things that needs to happen for telehealth to become increasingly sticky and easy for patients to engage with is their ability to port their information to the healthcare vendors of their choice, right? Mm -hmm. So their ability to own and manage and share that data with the appropriate people that they want to seek advice or guidance or diagnosis from in the cases of more um, acute and primary telehealth, that, that, uh, that rule is key, right? Um, physicians rely something like 80% on diagnostics to provide advice. So ownership of that data is absolutely key. And we will say, you know, in our business, especially virtual second opinions, having access to those medical records would help us enhance turnaround times and help our providers give better, more efficient advice. Right. So I would love to see, you know, those rules for APIs and various data sharing um, be implemented, hopefully in the near future. We, you know, for sure have some, you know, tricks up our sleeves that, you know, we're working on that, like Amanda <laughs> yeah. said, you know, but like I kind of mentioned earlier, or rather we mentioned earlier, you know, we, we do put a lot of effort uh, into thinking, you know, very, very deeply about how to make these processes more efficient, more automated, um, easier, uh, right, um, and, to, and to just make it more streamlined from, from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, if, you know you, as you might imagine, like, if, you know, this was my mom or you know, you know, a close family member, you know, I would want access to this information as soon as possible. Right. So everything that we do is, is, is to improve that experience. Great. 
Um, yeah, I think that answered uh, the questions I had. Um, unless there's anything else that um, you know you got, you guys think we're missing. Uh, final thoughts. I would just say that I hope that in terms of the private payers, uh, that they do look very closely at the payment at parity. Because if you really do want to see widespread adoption, I mean, of course, Infinite MD has assembled our own network of people who are providers who are very willing, very willing to uh, participate in innovation. But if you want to see it spread to your family providers, your home offices, your community physicians, um, payment at parity is really one of the keys that can unlock that gate. Um, and that kind of lies with the private payers. So I would say I, I encourage all of those private plans out there to look very closely at it. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think there's no sort of disagreement over like where the limitations of telehealth or telemedicine sort of, you know, lie. I mean, for sure. I mean, you know, you, you, you can't replace certain like in-person care just with a visit, you know, virtually. It's, it's impossible. And we, you know, that's not an argument we're, we're here to make. Uh, that, but that being said, um, you know, with Amanda's point about some of these uh, uh, reductions and some sort of the pr prior barriers in terms of regulations, as well as the increase in consumer adoption, both on the patient side as well as the provider side. I mean, stickiness um, has certainly increased tremendously. Um, you know, people are, are more used to having this as a part of their care, right? Yeah. And I think that's a, a, a big key. Uh, and so, you know, whether it's regulation wise, it's sometimes often hard to turn back the dial, you know, once you want to kind of mm -hmm. open up a bit. And so um, we certainly are very bullish on telehealth and telemedicine. You know, we, we really see, you know, a lot more, you know, more growth than we were expecting previously. And we've seen it, you know, internally ourselves, you know, we've seen over 200% increase in volumes um, from patients and, and uh, we're, we're just very, very, I guess, excited to also be in an area that's growing, right? And so it's been an exciting time for us too, as we've, um, you know, improved, you know, sort of even everything uh, to not only cope with the pandemic, but to also be able to just help more people. Right, right, right. Well, uh, guys, thanks very much. I appreciate your time. Uh, hey, thank you so much. And, you know, feel free to reach out to us if you need anything else. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, we'll do. All right, thanks, guys. You have a great day. Take care, thank okay? You. Thanks for listening to another episode of the My Tech Decisions podcast, where it's our mission to help you make technology decisions for your company. If you'd like to learn more, head to mytechdecisions.com or follow us on Twitter at mytechdecisions. You can also catch me on Twitter at ZWcomo. Until next time.